Welcome to Ethically Speaking, a podcast about legal ethics for lawyers. I'm your host, Matthew Kreitzer. Today, we will be discussing a very controversial area of law known as unauthorized practice of law. Unauthorized practice of law is a very controversial subject and a very broad subject. Therefore, we will be limiting our discussion to unauthorized practice of law questions that lawyers face in their daily practice. For example, having a potential client located in one state that is not your own. We will start by examining the ethical rule that applies and even talking to one lawyer who has had an opportunity to address this very problem. And remember, every state is unique. So before you do anything, check your own ethical rules and talk to ethics counsel. Let's get started. What ethical rule applies to unauthorized practice of law? The model rule that applies in this scenario is Rule 5.5 of the American Bar Association's Model Rules of Professional Conduct. Rule 5.5 provides, in relevant part, a lawyer shall not practice law in a jurisdiction in violation of the regulation of the legal profession in that jurisdiction or assist another in doing so. So, right off the bat, whether something is unauthorized practice of law in violation of the ethical rules largely depends on the jurisdiction that's answering that question. Many jurisdictions have different definitions of the practice of law. For example, Virginia is much broader with their definition. Virginia defines the practice of law as any advice or service denoting a knowledge of the law. In contrast, Maryland, a relatively close state to Virginia, defines the practice of law as giving legal advice, representing another person before a unit of the state government or of a political subdivision, performing any other service that the Court of Appeals defines as practice of law. For example, advising in the administration of probate, preparing an instrument that affects title, preparing or helping in the preparation of any former document filed in a court, or giving advice about a case that is or may be filed in a court. And why is it important to know what your local definition of practice of law is? It's important because many states, such as Virginia, criminalizes unauthorized practice of law. Here in Virginia, the practice is a class one misdemeanor which carries with it a potential jail sentence of one year. Now, there are some exceptions to these rules that allow a lawyer who's already in a lawyer-client relationship to represent a client before a tribunal in another state. I'm sure many of you are familiar with pro hoc vice that allows a lawyer from one jurisdiction to move the local court to allow them to represent the client in the new jurisdiction. There are also exceptions for corporate lawyers who work for a company that is based in more than one jurisdiction. Many jurisdictions 
allow lawyers to waive in and practice under those situations. Up next, an interview with another lawyer. All right, so today's guest is Chad Murray. Chad Murray is a, a lawyer out of Chicago. Well, no, I got that wrong. Let's go back. Uh, what, where are you from again? What, what city? I'm from Decatur, Illinois. Uh, Decatur, Illinois. Central okay. Illinois. You can leave that part in. That's the, the, fun, the fun stuff is when you Oops. Right, right. Well, okay, so <laughs> my guest today is Chad Murray. Chad Murray is from Decatur, Illinois. So, Chad, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, I am an attorney here in Decatur, um, a transplant from Western New York, so I'm originally licensed in New York State. Uh, moved to Decatur because my wife wanted to move home, and here I am doing basically family law, estate law, and a, a smattering of other stuff as it comes to mind. Occasional personal injury, too, because I can't help a good car wreck. And do you handle any other kind of practice areas like bankruptcy or anything like that? I occasionally do some bankruptcy work, um, not as often as uh, everything else at this point, just because bankruptcy is kind of a, filings are way down, so it's not really something I do a lot of, but I do. A, I have been doing a lot more of family law lately. And how long have you been practicing? I've been practicing for seven, eight, almost eight years. And do you own your own firm? Yeah, I'm a solo practitioner, and I, I should, of course I should have said this, I'm a solo, I've been solo since uh, 2014. Moved the, the firm from um, Buffalo, New York to Central Illinois in uh, 2015. Well, licensed in 2016 in Illinois. And what was your experience before starting your own firm? I worked at a high-volume personal injury firm that they probably wouldn't want to be called a mill, but you know you could probably call it <laughs> that if you wanted to. After that, I worked very briefly at a workers' compensation state agency. That was terrible and awful, and I'll tell you all about that if you want, but it just sucked. And after that, I worked at an insurance defense firm for probably three years or close to it. And then finally, after leaving there, I went solo and have been ever since. And how did you find the transition from firm life into going into solo? I, I, mean, I literally walked out of that office and was solo the same day. I rented a P.O. box the same day. So it wasn't much of a transition as much as I just was solo. I've been perusing the Reddit, some of the Reddit law practice sites. I've been reading Solo by Choice by Carolyn Elefant for years at this point. It had always been a thought that I had had, to much to my wife's dismay. It was a, a good fit. And did you have any difficulty figuring out how to become a solo lawyer? No, no. I mean, if you're if you're a lawyer, you can just walk out, hang a shingle, and start from there. So I've been practicing for a few years at this point. There, there wasn't much to it that, at least the, the solo lawyer part that I didn't quite get, some of the admin stuff became a pain very quickly. But other than that, it was pretty straightforward, honestly. How did your prior experiences in firm life impact a solo career? Well, I definitely made everything a lot more lean and a lot less bureaucratic nightmare-y. I am my own boss. I answer to myself. And if I if I want to just take a day and sit and record a podcast, I can do that. Or if I want to go to Chicago for an appearance like I did yesterday, I, I can do that. But I'm not beholden to anyone else. So I'm very, very fond of that. Although it took some adjusting for my wife to get used to me kind of doing what I want when I want. She still gives me a hard time about that one. And... Now that you're, you're solo, you're your own boss. Have you ever read into any big ethical issues as you've been a solo? Not really, no. I've, I've got a pretty decent grasp on the ethics of this, this whole thing. I haven't run into any major issues that uh, 
that I wouldn't have seen coming. So realistically, I think the worst or the, the biggest issue that I ran into was a. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, a UPL issue where I had rep- I was representing a gentleman who he was in the state that I was licensed in, but the property was in another state. Then I we realized like, oh, I can't represent you on this, and kicked him out. But that's like probably a the tamest and b the the closest I've ever been to any kind of ethical issues on while practicing realistically. And for our listeners, what is UPL? Unlicensed practice of law. Basically, a non-lawyer, which includes lawyers from another state who aren't licensed in that state, can't provide legal services in a state that they're not licensed. So my argument was I'm representing somebody in my state, but this was a New Jersey issue. So New Jersey's position is you can't do that. So I was like, all right, well, I'm out and uh, sent him to somebody else who was uh, licensed in Jersey. And how did you find the attorney to send the client to? At that point, I that was a lot of Google searching. I think I might have posted it on the, the lawyers Reddit as well. It was like a little while back that we ran into that issue. So I, I think I just did a little bit of searching there. I didn't really have anybody who did real estate in New Jersey at the time. The lawyer Slack did not exist at that point. So actually, no, I don't think lawyer Slack existed at that point. So um, I had to use the old-fashioned Reddit instead. You mentioned lawyer Slack. What is lawyer Slack? Uh, Lawyer Slack is the brainchild of Keith Lee and then a couple other lawyers from the Reddit Lawyers online community, myself and one habeas porpoise. We came up with the idea of doing some kind of thing like that. Keith took the initiative to actually create it, and then a whole bunch of lawyers joined and started sending gifts to each other, cats and other ridiculous things. And do you find that the community is very helpful to you? (laughs) Weighted pause. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good place. It's a good place for uh, a water cooler for me. Uh, I like to talk to other attorneys and things like that. It's for the most part, it skews pretty young, and I find myself giving advice more than receiving it. But it is a, is a solo. It's a place to go and chat with other lawyers that I might not otherwise be able to do. So for that purpose, it, it's pretty good for me. And going back to unauthorized practice of law, your favorite topic. My favorite topic, I haven't talked about it yet on this podcast, but I might a lot. Have you been paying much attention to big unauthorized practice of law news recently? Are you thinking about AVO or something else? AVO, for example. Are you familiar with what happened with AVO? I'm I'm passingly familiar with it, but I, I don't pay that much attention. And I should note that I do pay AVO money for sponsored listings. So don't hate me and take away my sponsored listing, although you're not sending me <laughs> anything good at this point. Right. But, but uh, yeah, tell, tell me more about Avo. All right. So for our listeners, Avo is a matchmaking service where they connect clients with lawyers. And there was some issue regarding the fact that Avo was taking a percentage fee from the flat fee services that lawyers were offering the potential clients. And that was what many of the bars around the United States had a problem with. And knowing that, how do you feel about that kind of arrangement? Yeah, I don't like, I generally don't like those legal matchmaking services. I don't pay for them as a rule. I mentioned that I paid for AVO. Uh, I'm paying for a sponsored listing, not any kind of matchmaking. So basically, I just show up first on searches. Uh, I don't use any of those services. I I find them kind of uh, icky myself. So I I tend not to use them. Ethically, if you're doing it like, if you're taking a, if they're taking a percentage, then ethically it's no bueno. Generally, if they're, if they're, you're paying a flat fee per lead, 
then it's not ethically problematic, although I still think the, the value of that sort of thing is not very good. You don't get a lot of good cases from those kind of services as far as I've seen. And how do you feel about the idea of lowering the service gap or increasing service to individuals who don't have lawyers right now? Oh, this is a loaded topic. So for so a big thing in the legal industry right now is the uh, access to justice problem. But I am very much on the side of the guild. I don't want lawyers to be undercut, generally speaking, because I have to make a living. So I'm fine with people having access to attorneys and things like that, but I'm not even remotely cool with the pressure to use technology and stuff to drive down prices because... Generally speaking, the stuff that's going to drive down prices is just the low-price, flat-free stuff anyway that's not going to really drive business unless you're doing a very high volume. A computer's not going to be able to litigate a personal injury case or criminal defense or anything like that. On one hand, I people, you know, things like that are happening in Missouri, the public defenders who aren't able to actually represent their clients because there are so many, that's a problem. But at the same side, uh, I'm not really big on the whole civil Gideon concept either. Have you reached out to any of those underserved demographics in your own practice? My practice, uh, not not especially. I do do some, some of the work I do is debt related, which is generally is going to serve that practice. I do some contingency work, which, going, which is going to serve that demographic. But most of what I do is, for the family and estate stuff, is middle to upper middle end practice stuff. So it's not really in that demographic. My wife is very deep into nonprofit world and I do do occasional work for her clients is just just a pro bono basis but my practice is not one that is aimed at that area at all. And speaking of your practice what kind of tips would you give to new lawyers who are looking to go the same route you are? First I would say keep it lean but don't keep it so lean that you can't function. So what I see a lot of is people either they set themselves up so lean that they barely have the fundamentals necessary to, to run a practice. They they skimp on practice management software or they don't buy like some kind of billing software or things like that. Essentially penny wise and pound foolish. Well, thank you very much, Chad. I appreciate you sitting down and talking with me today. All right, thank you. And that's all we have for today's episode of Ethically Speaking. Next time, an entirely different lawyer talking about an entirely different ethical issue. Until next time.